When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In the last month, there's been like three or four episodes where birds make a debut on several guests. Uh, Gregory, the red pill guy, uh, mm. Paul Whitcomb, who Paul's been on here a million times. It had never happened before with him. I think it happened with Rob in Canada. It had never happened with him. And that happened with you the last episode. It had never well, happened. We got, we got parrots. When they decide okay. to sound out, you can hear them halfway down the damn block. Okay. But still, got some fucking Alfred Hitchcock vibes in here. Just <laughs> fucking coming in here. Or Edgar Allan Poe, right? So so anyway, I decided to discard the poo filter and give it a try with the ice cream cone type model and see if that works a little better. Because uh, I also noticed you did the same thing. I did. And, uh, yeah, uh, of, of course, you've got the much better windscreened mic than I do. The whole like, thing uh, is very... Um, the whole thing is very like 50s Soviet Union space race, you and I, that is, and <laughs> that like we don't know what we're doing. And one of us tries something new and the other tries it. And we're like, let's see how it's working with you. We're just catastrophic yeah. failures here and there. No fatalities yet. But <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's what this whole thing is, is just tinkering along, starting with Sputnik. Now we're on like we're not quite at the Apollo landing, but Oh no, we're we're a few years from that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we've got we got Yuri Gagarin up. We got John Glenn up. Yes, yeah, somebody is in orbit now. Yes, we've passed Sputnik. Sputnik, we did we did that originally, but yeah, we're. I think yeah, I think I think we're there. Somebody's in orbit. Somebody's in orbit. They, they might even survive the uh, reentry. We don't know. We can only hope, right? But, yeah, we're we're working on it. Well, he's up there. That's the good part. That's the good news. The bad news is, is he will be coming down, and we just don't know in how many pieces or, or at a predetermined date or not. It might be a rapidly, was it, oh. an unscheduled rapid disassembly? Yeah, well, yeah. The, 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 then again, if he's Russian, he'll have a gun. Yeah, that is true. They did, didn't they have, didn't, weren't they given guns? So if they landed, Yeah, because they had, to, they had to, like, fight off wolves. Well, yeah, if they landed they, in, like, the tundra, <laughs> they had to be able to fight yeah. off bears and wolves, which so is insane. Had, yeah, it, it, it was, it was it, that. That's like one of the more bizarre things there, it's, especially when you're you know, like talking to the U.S. gun nuts, and they're yeah. like, "Yeah, it's like Soviet astronauts are the ones that actually had a gun when they got." Back and and what's what's weird is they had they were like these like tri-purpose guns. I think they were like three barrels. It was like shotgun, like distance rifle, and pistol. Just all MacGyver. Oh yeah, I thought they were just like handguns. Oh no, no, no! Look yeah. it up. It was this weird bastard Frankenstein thing. Like with everything, wow. with the space race, nothing could be just normal, right? It was. <laughs> oh yeah, it can't just be simple. Can't can't just be a Luger. Can't be an AK. It was this like no, it must that would be. be too simple. But I think it was for like shotgun was like to defend. I think it was like pistol might have been like if something goes horribly wrong, you have to defend against like you know. Uh, enemy forces, and then I think rifle was like if you had to hunt, if you got you know if you landed off target in the, the middle of the woods. 
Yeah. Well, and a couple of them did. They were like a thousand miles yeah. off, and yeah, it took a few couple of days for the rescue crews to find it, yeah, them. Yeah, it all. wasn't uncommon. And then also, I think it was. I didn't know this, but did you know that one of the Soviet space stations actually had an anti-aircraft gun on it? Not a lot of people know that. I didn't know that until I think 2020. But one of them actually had like a like a quad barrel like I don't I don't think it was like a flat gun, but I think it was like a bigger than like a 50 cal. I think it was like a like a 20 millimeter or something. One of them had it, and it was damn. It was in case Americans try to board, and it was like, you know. Is this really where we are? Like we're up in space, and it's like get your. Well, gun. it was where we were. It is, yeah. It's. I, th- I don't think we're there anymore. Have you seen Iron Sky? No. Really? You've never seen it? The uh, it came out in like 2010. It's where uh, the Nazis come back from the moon, invade America. No. Roger, I feel like this is in your wheelhouse. It does sound like it's it, not yes. half bad. The CGI is not half bad. It's kind of ridiculous. A lot of like racism and eugenics. It's all like shitting on Nazis, obviously. But like, uh, like they, Iron Iron Moon, right? No, Iron Sky. Iron Sky. They can't. Okay. They can't. I am going to have to look that up. It that is. Sounds it is damn interesting. It is. It is a like. Yeah. It is a cult. It's great for what it is. It's. It's funny. It's like their technology doesn't really advance. It kind of advances like linearly, not like exponentially. So everything's kind of steampunkish. But like, uh, what was I going to say? When they go out to like, and there's no spoiling the movie. The movie is just a shit show. Is like they go, they go at one point when like the Nazis begin to like invade the Earth. America's like, all right, like we got to fight these fuckers up in space. And it was like, I know we signed this treaty. But, you know, okay, our space station does actually have weapons on it, so we can fight these. And everyone's like, but there's like a non-proliferation treaty, like you're not supposed to put weapons in space. And then the president of America is this chick. And she's like, get off your high horses. And she's like, everyone, just bring them out. And so like the UK, France, China, they're all like, okay. So they all pull out their weaponized space stations. Okay, Okay, that's what I'm saying. It's like 2012 Finnish, German, Australian comic science fiction action film it's fantastic all right i, I got shocked I, you haven't I, seen it let me see if netflix has it it is a i watched it in my german class <laughs> in college that sounds like they're either going to have it or they're going to it's going to be on the indefinite review like it's going to be mem- memory hold or something it, yeah you can probably just stream it online and there was like a there was like a trailer for a second one, but I don't think they ever got the funding. But the trailer for the second one was okay. great. The trailer for the second one starts starts with like a nuclear attack in DC. The president of DC goes down to Antarctica, where obviously there's a hole that goes to the center of the earth. But to get into the passageway, she has to put her hand on it, and her hand shapeshifts into like a reptilian hand, and then she goes down oh, into the, the hollow earth. It, they have it. Oh, really? Yes, Fantastic. it is. It is in my queue, and <coughs> I am about to hit the move to top button. This is. Oh, 
if my mouse will. But yeah, in, in the trailer for the the sequel that was never made. Yeah, the president goes into the center of the earth, which she goes down through a tunnel in Antarctica and has to use her reptilian <laughs> hand. And in the center is a nuclear fusion device that powers the earth. And she meets up with Hitler, who's riding a T-Rex. Okay. But they Iron, never, they, Sky, yeah. Iron Sky is now the next thing that Netflix DVD will send to me. Good, good. Because <laughs> they, they didn't, they never made the second one, so. Yeah, well, that's, you know, you know sequels. Yeah, it's... Who knows? But I liked it. It was ridiculous, kind of cheesy, but it was it was good. It's a good. Sounds great. Yeah, it's as good as that film will ever be made. Like that, it's like you have to appreciate it for what it was. Like this will never be, this will never be funded by like Marvel. This will never be made by Pixar. It's like you have to appreciate it for what it was. It, oh no, there's some of the best films ever made were like that. Yeah. It, yeah, right. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, like I said, like while we were talking, I just on the other screen there did my thing. Fuck it's yeah. it it will be the next thing that uh, Netflix sends to me on those little plastic discs. Do you, do you? So you still get the you still get the physical discs? Yes, that's awesome. Because there's no licensing issues. Oh. See, the thing about it is, say you want to see some random movie mm -hmm. that you read about that was made 30 years ago, mm -hmm. okay? If if you're on a streaming service, maybe they have it, maybe they don't, ah. because it's all licensing issues. Uh, but once they press a DVD, once they make that little plastic disc, it's a physical object. Now, Doctrine of First Sale they can rent that sucker or sell it to anybody until the end of time there are no licensing issues so pretty much if you read an article or like you just did you glommed me onto a movie i had never heard of okay now if i was like depending on a streaming service i would be like well is it licensed to the streaming mm -hmm. service mm -hmm. or to one of the six streaming services or the 12 or whatever, however many there's going to be. But no, they made a DVD. DVD.com has the DVD. It doesn't matter who's licensed what to who. They can rent the thing to me. Huh. And that, yeah. Now they only get, I get uh, three, three DVDs in the mail at a time. So I huh. get like, two or three movies a week yeah um but i those can be anything yeah pretty much if it's ever been on dvd unless there is some specific reason that netflix has decided they don't want to carry it then i can get it within a week yeah whereas on streaming you don't know what the fuck is available is it and i was gonna say is that why you have problems with like Disney Plus and shit? Is because they yes. Can't? Okay. Oh, I hate them. I hate the whole model. And you know the 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 thing is, when streaming started, the model was you know the the licensing for streaming was based on cable television. Mm -hmm. You know, basically the streaming licensing was the same as cable. Now you have to go back a little in time to understand how this evolved. Okay. Uh, in the beginning, if you made a movie, then 
it would go theatrical and that was it mm-hmm. okay it would distribute these film you know. then when tv came along there would be theatrical and while the theatrical release was in process you couldn't put it on tv but after a while they would license it for uh teleplay mm-hmm. as they would call it then and at that time it went out of licensing for theaters because the theater doesn't want you know the the broadcast network that is paying you know umpty bazillion dollars for the rights to broadcast it doesn't want to be competing with other potentially better broad, you know media mm-hmm. or anything then cable tv comes along so now the model is it goes to theatrical then it goes to broadcast but no then it goes to cable then it goes to broadcast now streaming services inherited most of their contracts from the cable part of that but if you think about before streaming existed the cable license expired and it went to broadcast now the broadcasters you know they don't want to be competing they're putting commercials in it and all this they don't want to be competing with somebody else who's not putting the commercials in and you know competing with their model so the cable guys lose their right to air it once it goes to broadcast and then after that it's all chaos Mm -hmm. it's you know that was but that was the model it was theatrical then cable then broadcast now the model you know all those contracts these things go back to the fucking 1950s in a lot of cases and the the owners they don't want to give up this control now people have been saying for almost 20 years that what the public really wants is a single source where you can go and get whatever the hell movie you want Mm -hmm. and stream it on demand Mm -hmm. and we would pay what 20 30 dollars a month for such a service if it existed if we could go and get everything for every every movie every show ever made right fuck i'd pay i don't even watch a lot of shit if i could get any documentary i wanted any movie any shit i'd I'd probably pay like a 100 bucks a month (laughs) but it doesn't exist yeah and the reason is all of these antique license agreements so but the thing is about dvds about these obsolete plastic discs is that once they press that disc it's a physical object and now the doctrine of first sale which only applies to physical objects applies so once that disc exists they can rent it to me they can sell it to me they can do whatever the hell they want to it till the end of time Mm-hmm. They can't copy it because of copyright. But once Netflix buys that disc from whoever has the rights, mm-hmm. it never goes out of licensing. So they have it forever. And that's not true of any streaming service. And I didn't realize this until I watched Stargate SG-1 back back in the day, back in the you know and and the aughts you know when uh hulu when hulu was new okay they uh they came out with stargate sg1 they introduced uh a season every month 
And that's how I became familiar because I don't have cable TV. So I had never seen Stargate. And people were telling me, it's like, you should watch Stargate. And it's like, and, and actually, I think Bethany told you, you need to watch Stargate. Yeah. Um, so, um, so basically, every month, the first Saturday, they introduced an entire season, which because in Stargate, it was like 23 episodes. So that was that weekend. Just gone. Okay, yeah. Gone, yes. But it was a nice way to see it because it was like you could follow the character arcs and all this stuff, and you didn't have to wait 10 years to see how they resolved. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then about a year after, I was like uh, reminiscing a little bit. And I wanted to go back and watch one of the episodes again. And it was gone. They didn't have it anymore. Hmm. I was like, what fuckery is this? That that's that's stupid. But that is streaming. Yeah. That's that was streaming then, that's streaming now, and it's gotten worse instead of better because now every entity wants to have their own streaming service. Instead of consolidating, now you got CBS has their own. Every you know, it's, it's, it's like Disney has to split off. Yeah. So now if you want to see Star Wars shit, you gotta get this, you gotta get that, you gotta No, it's like fuck that. Yeah. Like they need to do that with like I mean, even Patreon, right? I I became I bought a thing on Patreon, the first thing I've ever purchased on Patreon, and probably the only thing I'll ever purchase on Patreon. And it's Tim Dillon, the funniest man I think to have ever lived. Does an episode every Sunday. And he does a bonus episode on Patreon. You gotta pay five bucks a month for it. And you get access to the whole archives. I have been listening to Tim Dillon nonstop for the past I don't know. 96, maybe 120 hours. I've been listening to like nine episodes a day. <laughs> They're an hour each. Dude, I'm in tears the whole time. He's, he's, the, this is the way I, he looks like Chris Farley. He acts like, he looks like Chris Farley, like his older brother is Alex Jones, like he was raised yeah. by George Carlin and Bill Hicks. And yeah, like he was raised by George Carlin and Bill Hicks. <laughs> best friends with Alex Jones and maybe like yeah maybe like maybe like molested by Chris Farley or something it's like (laughs) he is dude he's Alex Jones with just just it's like if you took Alex Jones and you brought him from an 11 down to like a 7 made him gay (laughs) made him super liberal and that's who he is and he Mm. I, I have such like respect and love for Tim Dillon he's 36 because okay. yeah because he yep. he shits on everyone it's it's an it's equal opportunity hatred he hates everyone he he shits on as <laughs> soon as he's finished sit, shitting on trump and he'll be like and you you fucking blue check mark sexless dykes on twitter it'll go, just attack them it'll be like back to you yeah. you neo-nazis but the point is is he has a guy on the show a lot named ray kump k-u-m-p guy with a lisp who's equally funny and equally intelligent. He's only been on a couple of Tim Dillons that I've found, at least. Finally, I'm like, who the, who the fuck is this guy? Ray Kump, I gotta find his, his thing's also on Patreon, but now I'm like, I'm, the point of this whole rant is not just to plug Tim Dillon, Tim Dillon, but now I'm like, I'm not paying five bucks to watch another podcast. Like, fuck. Now it's all, because I already pay yeah. for a premium Where does it YouTube. end? I already pay for a premium YouTube, which as much as I hate it, I think it's worth it. I get to watch every video, no ads. 
but it is kind of like right wasn't the point of like paying for cable is that like you got rid of advertisements and then somehow they seeped back i am in? so old that i remember that and that it, is the reason i will never pay for television seeped, because it, it i was promised back. that if we paid for television in the 1970s yeah. okay when when i was uh, still a teenager i remember being promised that oh well, with cable, you'll have to pay for it, but that means you won't have to watch commercials. Okay, that means that when I don't have to watch commercials, I will pay for television. Not the case, and it's mm-hmm. right. And it seems like, and it seems like the same thing's just kind of happening, right? Now we have streaming services. Everyone's like, if you pay for the streaming service, you get it all. Well, now what's happening is we're just getting channels, but in the form of streaming services. You flip yeah. through your channels. And stuff goes in and out of availability and all this shit. And it's like, screw that. I mean, it's like, meanwhile, okay, these little plastic discs seem so fucking obsolete and all, but doctrine of first sale, it's a, it's a physical material oh, wow. object. Once they press that, and they have gotten later and later. I only just now, I literally last week, got to see the last season of Better Call Saul. The, yeah, okay? Yeah. And the whole world got to see it. But it was there on my plan. You know, I didn't have to pay more or join a different service or any of this crap. Uh, right now, I'm working my way through the last season of The Expanse. Same thing. So it, it's like, oh, now, before I got kicked off a Metafilter, it would have been a little more of a thing is because they have the discussion thing where you're talking about the current season. And mm-hmm. all. But I got kicked off a Metafilter for not being liberal enough or something, whatever they, they decided it was a, they decided it was a protected space and I was not, uh, welcome to the dark side, Roger. You're now a Nazi. Yeah, I know. Welcome. It's, Open arms, brother. Come to my Reichstag. <laughs> Come to my. We have good fire and beer. <laughs> yeah. No. 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 It's like yeah. Cancel culture got yeah. me. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So welcome. Welcome. That's... Party like it's nineteen thirty-three. And yeah. So <laughs> you know. But anyway. anyway. You know, but, that, but that's the thing. It's like you know. Uh, you know. And and the thing is, DVD.com isn't going away because there's so much of the country that doesn't have broadband anyway, and you can't watch a video over the internet. Yeah. So DVD.com is going to exist for a long time to serve these people. It may have been shrinking and all that. But for me, okay, yeah, I can actually stream a movie if I want to, and I have the service. In fact, our library in St. Tammany Parish has a thing where you can rent a streaming movie. And every once in a while, I'll come home, and my wife is like, got a movie to watch? And I have a a little stick computer. It looks like an overgrown USB drive, but it's actually a Windows computer that I have plugged in next to our TV set. And so I'll go on there, and yes, I'll go log on and boom we'll stream the movie and it works great okay it's like it's not that i don't like it but what i don't like is you know if i want to see a particular thing you know i think i would really like to watch the original star wars again oh wait well netflix don't have it anymore you gotta have disney plus for that yeah fork over some more money and it's like screw that it's it it almost seems like 
how do I say it? It's almost like um, no cities are actually built like um, let's say you have like rows of like whatever crops let's say you have perfect rows of crops corn whatever and you've got like whatever your perfect square plot it's however many square miles whatever at the edges right let's say like whatever however the fuck corn grows whether there's seeds or pollen or whatever the fuck it is we can imagine that it's probably going to be always growing at the edges, right? You're going to have something fall over and a new one sprout, and it's going to be just out of, like, the perfect uh, grid of corn. As this happens over the years, it starts to get a little, like, starts to get a little messy, right? And then what they do is they probably just, fuck it, we're just going to add another grid to the cornfield. You kind of get all of them in line, and then you got your cornfield, and then over the years it kind of grows a little, gets a little messy, right? It's almost like hair growing. You got to keep braiding it. It seems like with things like TV or like radio and then TV and then like subscription, like delivery, like Netflix, like video game and DVD service. And then the Internet, like LimeWire or YouTube or streaming services. It seems like what happens is there's this like there's this like leading edge of like technological progression. And it's kind of like hair or corn kind of growing wild. And it's really fun for a little bit. But then the man, the farmer, who puts it in a neat little grid, braids the hair, is like, oh, we're going to put it on channels and there's going to be commercials. Or, nope, you're going to pay for a subscription service. And then, somehow or another, the leading edge will break away a little bit. We saw it with, like, LimeWire. We saw it with streaming services. And right now, they've got it buttoned down pretty good. The man's back in charge. It's going to be a matter of weeks, months, years. There will be the next thing where all the sudden... Uh, you're not old enough to remember when video cassette recorders were invented and the media people went fucking ape shit yeah over the, this and and the and this is the thing it's like it's almost inconceivable now it's like if you wanted to see oh it's like i would like to watch superman the the superman yeah, movie you again copy it you would have to it. just like wait until they broadcast it there was no alternative and when they you know, when when Sony came out with the first VCRs, the uh, MPA sued them and tried to get it made illegal. And the it went all the way to the Supreme Court that you know, no, it's like, no, this is, you know, this time shifting thing is a legitimate use. And, uh, you know, it's it's a reasonable technology. And the a lot of what happened after was reactionary to that because uh, a fortunate thing for the media companies is that VHS tapes, if you look at them by modern standards, were really crap Mm -hmm. quality. But on the other hand, in 1970, in 1979, if you wanted to rewatch a movie that you loved, it was a hell of a lot better than going, well, maybe they'll rebroadcast it in 1982. Um, So you had that... uh, uh, you had, of course, the, the the rental store. Roger. 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 Okay. Oh, you broke up a little bit. You're back. Oh, yeah. E- everyone's internet connection is made of a bag of dicks. It is, uh, and that's, that's actually a fact that we discovered, is that that's the backbone. It's the most widely yeah. kept national secret. 
Yeah, I, I mean, you 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 gave me that pointer to your conversation with your uh, Mexican brother, and uh, yeah, and, and yeah, that was the first thing I said. I was like, "Oh, I'm not the only one this happens to." Yeah. Oh yeah. No, it's it's a found as it doesn't fucking matter if I can clean up my internet connection because <laughs> every like guest it's still just like. Uh, 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 uh. Yeah. So so in, but but anyway, it's like you know we we would. Uh, drive 15 miles they paid a hundred dollars or more a month for the membership so that we could then pay this episode is brought to you by shopify forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to shopify the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell with Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Pay more money to rent a video cassette, uh, but we thought we were living high because, oh, we want to see the Superman movie, you know, it, you know, it's not on, you know, but they got it at the video shop. So it's like, yeah, let's go get it. And that had never been possible before. Yeah. It's, it's almost inconceivable. And in, by today's standards, we're so used to having everything on demand that, you know, uh, when I was good, we didn't have shit. We didn't even have music. You know, you go to the, you know, the record store and it's like, a dollar for a single yeah and, and it's what do you think will be the next sort of like wild west because i remember like my older brothers i think the first one was like napster and then i remember like getting like like proficient in limewire i think napster was mm-hmm. i was still a little too young yeah limewire followed napster yeah. because Napster got made illegalized yeah and limewire was the next thing and uh yeah and I remember, yeah. like, what I remember is, like, if you go back to, like, my age group, I guess born in 1990, and you can, if you can find their old iPods or something, it's this weird, almost like, um, it's almost like a, like a nuclear, like a, like a proxy. You know how they can go back, you can go into, like, the geological record and you can <laughs> find, like, radioactive iridium or something from the, uh, from the KT asteroid or whatever it was in the, in, yeah. uh, uh, fuck! What was the peninsula where the where the um, the Yucatan Peninsula isn't that where the asteroid that yes. killed the dinosaur? The, yeah, the KT the, yeah. the KT impactor. Yeah, what is it, the asteroid called? It's like Chicxulub, C H I C. Yeah, I don't know how to pronounce it. But, Point is, yeah. is you can kind of go back and find these like impact proxies in like iPods or like iTunes libraries from my my age, my generation, and you can do this because you have to go find a popular song from that time say it's like Usher or Lil Jon or Red Hot Chili Peppers, Maroon 5, whatever. And a lot of them, you'll go back and like everyone will have the same version of the song. Even if it's studio, at the beginning, there'll be some like dub where we'll be like, this is brought to you by like mixtapes.com. But you can go back and you can find these sort of like impact proxies. And it's everyone, you know that you're like, oh, you ripped this off LimeWire too because that was the one file that like made it through the dragnet where it's like everyone has this like spinning records TV. And it's like, you can go back to these one or if it's like a live show everyone has the same live show not because it was the best because that's the one that seeped through it's like an impact proxy 
in like technology. Well, there, there are cases where radio stations got caught broadcasting the poisoned MP3s that oh, had been seeded. Shit. That had, you would play half the song, and then there would be like a message in the middle this saying, the Don't steal our music. And they would, oh, you know, and there were radio stations that broadcast these oh, things shit. without realizing what they were. Uh, you know, because Holy people shit. took it for granted. Holy uh, shit. I didn't know that. Oh, it was nuts. It was the whole the whole era. And and I would like you know, the thing about Napster I also had like a little chat channel on the side. And I remember uh my my uh wife is a huge diehard Nirvana Nirvana fan. Uh and uh so I was downloading some Nirvana songs uh on Napster in I think it was nineteen ninety-nine and the guy I was downloading them from turned out to be a 14-year-old Jewish kid in New York City. And Partly he brought up a thing and it's like, okay, what is And I was like, well, my wife is 43 and she's like a huge Nirvana fan. And he was like, wait, really? Someone that old? <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> It's, it was, yeah. You know, it, it, it was a culture. Has it all? I'm gonna, I'm gonna text it to you right now. Sorry, I keep talking. Have you? Has, has so, your? Has your wife? Have you? Has she listened to? You know, Post Malone. She, she is a big Lo-Fi fan. But do you know who uh, Post Malone is? No. Post, Malone, he's like 25. He's covered in tat. He has all the tattoos on his face. Says always tired. He kind of dresses like a 1970s gangster. Uh, she she was like uh, the the big one was Arctic Monkeys when uh, our musical taste started to diverge. <laughs> and, uh, well, what I was gonna say is is Post Malone. Yeah, he's got like twenty mil- he's got like twenty million subscribers on YouTube. He's been on Joe I'll, Rogan. He's one of my I'll favorite. Mention, yeah, I'll mention I'll mention him to her. She'll either know who he is or she. Well, won't what I was gonna say is at the yeah. beginning of COVID, he did a COVID uh, did like a COVID like charity uh, online concert from his like mansion. But he raised money for like research. He raised like ten million bucks or something. But he covered Nirvana. He's like he's like oh yeah. He's like a rap. Oh, everybody's fucking covered Nirvana. But now. the thing is, is everyone <laughs> if you don't like Post Malone, you hate Post Malone because he's this white kind of Jewish looking guy. He's got gold at the grills. He's you know he's driving you know pearl Bentleys and stuff. But I have a lot of friends that were like, I hated this guy until I saw his cover of Nirvana. He gained like this whole new block of like fans because they're like he is the best like cover of Nirvana that exists. So I'm going to text you that live or that yeah. show right now. All right, yeah, I'll forward that to my wife. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. She's, well, the, I mean, the thing is, uh, they were who they were. I mean, that they, they were a one in a yeah once in a lifetime thing. Yeah. Um, but uh, so uh, anyway. Uh, how did we get Doesn't uh, matter, Roger. We're, we're just, we're just, we're just. Oh, riffing. this is the part where we're just riffing on shit. We're just riffing. Forget. Just who cares? Yeah. Just keep riding with it. Okay. So, uh, you know, I did have a story I was planning to read you. Well, fuck yeah. Um, what I was gonna okay. say is, so one of my friends uh, called me last week after, um, after, um, fuck, what was the the name of the reading last week? The story where he goes into the war, right? Rite of passage. Rite of passage. One of my friends actually called me and said that story was incredible, and I was like, "What are you talking about?" He was like, "Your podcast," and of course, like an egotistical douchebag, I was like, "Oh, thanks, man. I'm really trying to get." Back. He was like, "No, no, 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 no." The author guy, 
And I was like, oh, Roger. And he was like, yeah. but the thing is, is he's never commented about any of your episodes before. So it stuck out to me that he was like, that's incredible. I was like, this is the guy I always t- tell you about, Metamorphosis of Prime Intellect. And he's like, oh, awesome. Is that an Audible? And I was like, no, I've been trying to tell Roger for as long as I've known him. And he was like, tell him to put it on Audible. So I just wanted to let you know that you do have a new fan of your stories who is like, is it on Audible? And I was like, no. And he was like, oh, that's a shame. Yeah, well. The fish jumped into your net, and there's a hole in your net, Roger. I know. Well, I mean, one of the reasons that I'm doing these readings for you is to try and, and, and get myself used to actually reading my stuff. Uh, today's story, in fact, has a, a particular technical uh, problem. as far as reading it because it's in several sections and in print each section starts with an italicized block Mm -hmm. which is setting up the situation and then there is a title for the block but there's not a title before the italicized section so when the block ends in print the only indication that that block has ended and the next one has begun is that the text is italicized you can't read that you so i had to think of how i would hmm? choose a voice maybe well that's one way to do it but that's kind of vague so i had to think of a way to announce and uh i came up with a word that i think imperfectly but uh says up because i didn't want to like move the the thing you'll see when i read the story that it's uh, uh I, was I play say. with structure a lot yeah. in my writing and so you you can see that from mopey yeah that you know the the way the thing looks on the page is important to me and conveys information well, sometimes and so getting that Right in a reading, uh, in some cases, is really not straightforward. Well, l- l- let me let me interrupt you like an asshole. When I first read Mopey in 2016, I-, I read it. I just read it on my phone. When I listened to it again in 2020, when I contacted you and you're like, yeah, I'll do it. I was like, I need to touch up on this because like, whenever I have an author on, mm-hmm. I like to listen to their book through and through. What I did is, because it wasn't on Audible, I just had my phone... Right, they had the robot read it for you. And it wasn't half bad. So for but whatever you had it's already, worth, But you I had, had already, already it. seen it. But it had been four the, years. It had been four years. Yeah, but in some cases, that doesn't matter. Oh, because, shut the know, fuck up, Roger. <laughs> if you're a new reader, yeah. having the robot read it to you, there would be a lot of gaps in there. Yeah. There, there would be a lot of things... But you had seen it, even if you hadn't seen it for years, even though the robot is reading with no intonation and all that, you're you're going to remember, oh, yeah, this was the computer dialogue thing. Oh, yeah, this is where she's snarking internally as she's talking to Anne-Marie. Sure, yeah. Okay, you know, and it's like some of that stuff is really hard to convey to someone who hasn't seen the presentation and i am very visual when i'm writing so it's like i you know it's 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 a challenge what if i'm not saying that it's not yeah. doable but it it's not just a an easy thing what if you narrated it whenever you do narrate it what if you just did the italicized things and just like you let your phone read it 
you just have like the italicized thing just be read in the computer voice welcome to the the metamorphosis of prime intellect da, da, da. well the problem there is that well in the story that i'm about to read if we get to it uh there is some emotion in the italicized passages these are uh, actually in fact some of the most human and emotional moments are in those italicized passages because this is about the becoming of uh an artificial intelligence of a well i don't want to get too far into it this is um but yeah it's it's just uh i'm visually oriented and reading oriented and so when i when I write a story, it's funny because I hear it in my head. But at the same time, the way that I hear it in my head is visually oriented. It's about how it's arranged on the page and the the fonts and stuff like that. And I'm very picky about that mm-hmm. when I'm writing something. Um, so it's like I, you know, I'm I'm trying to recreate that experience and. I'm missing some tools mm-hmm. when when I'm just doing it by voice. Yeah. So I'm trying to figure out how to do that. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and it's just it's not just a matter of now. I do have the advantage if I ever do an audio book that I can go back and edit and all. Whereas you know, here I'm just doing a straight through reading, and if I flub it up, well, that's, that's that was that. Yeah. Um, you know, it, whereas an audio, in fact, I've had one uh, uh, one of the people who actually does them say, you know, it's like they uh, if they flub it, they clap. Okay, because when you're when you're looking, looking at, at the, the yeah on the, on, on the audio thing, you see you see that spike. It's like okay, I got to pay attention to this. That's and, actually that's genius. Yeah, it is. Um, so uh, when you know, I'm 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 working my way toward trying to do that but it's just not simple it's like yeah what yeah everybody wants to know where the fucking sequel is and part of that is that i have really high standards the 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 thing is i don't want to do a half-assed job i don't want to do something that i'm later going to go back and say well i'm you don't want to transform it you don't want to fast and furious it exactly and 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 the thing is most of the best stuff that I've written was inspired. It was like when I sat down to write it, I didn't have to think about it yeah, because yeah. the muse, the muse was speaking through me. And that was the case with Mopey. That was the case with passages in the void. It was the case with every episode of the passages cycle that we've done so far and the one that i'm about to read uh was i didn't do it until things were right Mm -hmm. and and sometimes i've gotten to that point and got halfway through and realized things weren't right and that happened with the sequel i tried to force myself to do topi and i got six chapters in and realized that I didn't know how to tell the next one. Yeah. And not to make, you know, yeah. so I didn't know how to make it right. Now, fortunately for me, I'm not dependent on my writing for a living. So it's yeah. not like I have to produce a novel. You gotta this year. put it out. You gotta, yeah. So I have the luxury of saying, you know, 
fuck it. You know, it's like, I'm not going to do this thing until it's right. And, you know, the heart attack monster may come and get me before I do it. That would suck. But then it was meant uh, to be. It was meant to be. It's maybe so. And the problem, (laughs) the problem is, is I have now pumped you up every time you come on. Oh, I haven't said this. I actually haven't said this episode yet. (laughs) Roger Williams, the author of my favorite book, Metamorphosis of Prime Intellect, which will be in the description and sticking in the top comment. The problem is, is I have now pumped you up to where you can't, you can't come in with like a flaccid dick. Like you can't, you can't fuck up a second one because you have now created a cult classic of fans of people like me who will, if you butcher it, will take it as a personal offense and perhaps violently attack you. You know? (laughs) (laughs) Even if they don't, I'll take it personally myself. It's like, I'll know if it's not right. I don't, uh, you know, I I am the, my own harshest critic and I I, I don't want to do something. The thing is, it has to work for me. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not interested. I, I don't have to write something this month to pay the fucking gas bill or something. Yeah. You know, it's like if I write something, it's because I want to and it's because it works for me. And what I want is that, you know, that that feeling that you've mentioned a couple of times if, at the end of the story. It's like that's what I want. I, yeah. I want to make you know, I want to blow you away. Yeah. I want, I, I, you know, and, and if I if I'm not doing that then I'm wasting my fucking time. It's like, yeah. I, I got I, I have an actual job. I don't need to do that, don't, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that, that's, you know, that's what I'm here for as far as writing. Uh, and, and, and of course, we're blowing through about 20 years of my writing life in a few months here, and we're going to run out of shit. And then we'll, uh, well, then we'll be back to the beginning of this podcast where we're just riffing and, because there's isn't going to be anything else for me to read. Roger, I blew through all of my interesting life stories in the first twenty episodes of this podcast. It's been riffing ever since. It's been I've been Eminem freestyle. I've been eight miling this shit every single day since then. There's nothing. The whole the lighting and the camera and the background. That's all to distract you from the fact that I'm out of material. <laughs> it's, it's just I'm on here just talking shit. Yeah. Oh, and I have noticed that you don't seem to need to turn the lights off anymore. That's well, good. These 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 circular lamps that my little brother got me for Christmas, shout out Pat, is they're very yeah, they're very diffuse. And um Yeah, and so not put, not yeah. giving you the headaches and not all that. that crap. And and I can't see them. That's the thing, is the other lights like I could always see even on my periphery, I could see that sort of just like bright singularity oh, yeah. of light. These are above my field of vi- I mean I have to look up to see them. But so it's just kind of that bathing light that comes straight down and not only that i have found that putting up these black moving blankets around me that kind of help deflect the noise or the audio mm-hmm. is also with the light yeah huh? well it's also helped because this room is like white so even just like i don't have this general like kind of bright haze that i'm you know like I'm looking at a screen in an ocean of white all around. It's instead, it's kind of blacked in. The image I'm looking at on my screen of me, you know, half of it's black. It's so it is it is kind of helping. But um, yeah, yeah, just baby steps towards yeah. a better and better. I was thinking about maybe I need to get like an anechoic chamber that they used for like fighter jets and shit. <laughs> and apparently you're only supposed to stay in those for like 45 minutes at a time before you start getting a little goofy. 
because your brain starts yeah. synth- synthesizing noises because it can't hear anything. Yeah, maybe that's not yeah. a good point. So, so anyway. Yeah, let's get so started. Yeah. Here we have. I actually didn't publish this myself. Okay. Can you see Roger Williams there under fiction? Yep. So, uh, I forget why Sam called his magazine Bull Spec. That I did actually read that at one point. But uh, it was funny. I was, like, I was wondering what kind of illustration he would do, and he didn't bother with an illustration because he actually had to reduce the font size. And this is going to be awkward. Mortal Passage by Roger Williams. Yeah. So, but... It's in a smaller font than anything else in the magazine because it's a 10,000-word story. Um, Now, uh, before I start on it, I'm going to mention that uh, if you want to hear the rest of the passages cycle, all four stories, including this, are about 10,000 words. So they take me an hour or so to read. But Revelation Passage is 20,000 words. And it's in the form of five sub-stories that kind of segue into one another. So I'm not sure if you're going to want to do that as like one mammoth cast or no, break it up. Let's, let's break it up. They're much more digestible as smaller. Okay. Smaller yeah. Ones. That, okay. So yeah, that that's you know, because it's your it's your joint. So I, I I wanted to put that to you as you know it's like. Um, it's it's really five five thousand word or so sub stories um and um i'll think about it a little bit about how maybe best to break it up so it doesn't end up being five more casts because also some of them really segue quickly into one another um others not so much it's uh it it, it, it's one of those things um it's kind of hard to describe and if you haven't actually read it then all right whatever so all right i'm going to move my shit and get ready to do a reading here for you let me go to the bathroom before we start okay (laughs) so i don't interrupt So if anyone's listening and uh, you want a uh, printed on paper copy of the Metamorphosis of Prime Intellect, my novel, I encourage you to go search for it on lulu.com, not on Amazon, because uh, they are the original uh, print-on-demand publisher. And when you order it through them, it costs the same because the contracts that made it available through Amazon require that. But in their case, they aren't paying Amazon's part of the thing. So I get a lot more money. It's like, you know, six or seven dollars versus about 50. And I'm not complaining because I get a lot of sales through Amazon and the volume makes it up. But if you're listening to this and you're wanting to do it, then, uh, Go to Lulu. They have really good customer service. Uh, They were a pioneer in the whole print-on-demand self-publishing thing, and uh, it's worth supporting them. And I notice I'm looking off to the side because I have my 
zoom thing on the side monitor now. Uh, so anyway, when Tommy comes back, uh, Roger Williams. All right, let me fill my drinky poo here. Okay, so I was just uh, letting your uh, listeners know about uh, ordering Mopi through Lulu rather than Amazon if they want to print it on paper copy. Uh, Or just get it it, through Audible. Well, if (laughs) there's ever an Audible version, then that will be a different thing. Maybe we just need to turn this podcast into a streaming library. Fuck it, just let's do the reading. (laughs) Okay. So this is Mortal Passage. Originally published Friday, March 19th, 2004. By Roger Williams. Narrated here by Roger Williams, the, uh, the author for Tommy's podcast. Prospect. Dr. Ayub was staggering slightly and smelled of alcohol when he found the director in the waiting area. I quit, he announced with a drunken flourish. I could not be responsible for this to happen again. We need you, the director said. This isn't your fault. Fuck it isn't. It lied to us for over two years. I didn't catch it. And damn it, I was watching. We all were. It was crafty. It bided its time and struck when it thought we trusted it. If it had had any idea how much more damage it could have done by just waiting a bit longer, nothing like that happened. But if it had, there's nothing I could do to prevent it. The project is over. Look, the computers keep getting better. The tools, it's not the fucking computers, Adley. With the new optical 3D bricks, we could simulate a whole brain. It's the algorithms. We just don't know how to make it work. It's all chaos, so many emergent properties, and we don't have any idea how to make it come out sane. Nature's way may be a kludge, but nature had hundreds of millions of years to get it right. A chime sounded and a medical doctor walked in. You can see him. You may even be able to communicate if he can find the nerve we've hooked to the buzzer. Maybe if he lives long enough, we can figure out a way for him to type. But with his eyes, he's an active ham radio operator. He knows Morse code. Let's see what we can do. Version 1.0, circa the near future. I woke to pain and darkness. At first, I wasn't sure I was awake. But I could hear sounds, clinking, walking, the soft pulse of machinery. All of that was coherent, if mysterious. I wasn't dreaming. But my body was hardly there at all, and what I could feel made me want to scream in pain, except I didn't seem to be able to do that either. It didn't even feel like I was breathing. Tom, this is Adley. Okay, I know you can hear me because the EEG is responding. You need to try to close your jaw. Try it different ways. You should find a motion that makes a buzzer sound. I couldn't feel my jaw, but I knew Adley's voice and I trusted him, so I did as he asked. 
After a few tries, I caught at a certain twitch which should have shifted my jaw to the left, made the buzzer sound. Bzzzt. 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 You remember your Morse? Da 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 Yes. Excellent. At least we can communicate. H U R T S. I don't doubt it, Tom, but if they give you any more drugs for it, your heart will stop. H O W B A D. It's pretty bad. Third degree burns over 100% of your body. Your jaw was ripped away and you breathed fire. Your lungs are mostly gone, and the only reason you're alive is an experimental device that oxygenates your blood remotely. If it hadn't crashed you practically into the hospital, you'd be dead. C-A-N-T-S-E-E. Your eyes were destroyed, Tom. D-O-E-S-K-A-T-E. K-N-O-W. No. She knows there's been a terrible accident, but not that you survived or your status. W-H-Y. The AI was biding its time. Ayub just quit on me and I can't blame him. There was no indication it was resentful until it chose to act. We were only months away from giving it control of battlefield weapons. If it had waited a little longer before showing its hands, we might have had a nasty problem. N-O-W-H-Y-I-A-L-I-V-E. Because a lot of people worked like dogs to keep you that way. Two maintenance techs are in here with critical burns. They got pulling you from the wreckage. They're heroes. The paramedics who hooked you up to the oxygenator are being treated for smoke inhalation. Even before your chopper hit the ground, a janitor saw what was happening and got in place to hit you with a fire hose. He was almost decapitated by one of the rotors. They all put out 100% to save you, Tom. W-A-S-T-E-D. I know it's bad, Tom, but the way it tricked us, the way we've all seen movies about this kind of thing, Nobody wanted to let it win. I-T-D-I-D. No, Tom. It got in a good lick, a damn good lick. But you caught it, and we did our damnedest to catch you. We examined the core dumps. It wanted to crash into the admin building observation deck. How it hid that image for so long, we still aren't sure. But you stopped it. You forced it down short. You probably saved 60 lives. Why, a why? We will do everything in our power for you, Tom. Everything. H U M T B Y D U M T P Y. I know, but we might be a little better equipped than all the king's horses and all the king's men. E Y S J W F A C E L I M B S. W-H-T-S-L-E-F-T. You'll be blind. You'll lose your arms and legs, which won't matter much because your neck is broken and you'll be quadrupleted anyway. 
You'll spend the rest of your life hooked up to the oxygenation machine, and so far the world record for survival on it is 37 days. You'll need skin grafts and a lot of relatively minor work like a kidney transplant and liver regeneration, but most of your internal organs are almost functional. J-S-T-K-I-L-L-M-E. Hear me out, Tom. There's something else. Like I said, I would quit. And even if he didn't, I think we'd have to shut the program down. We obviously don't know how to build these things so that we can trust them when we give them control. That Yudkowsky guy was right after all. We thought if we built it first, we could shake out the bugs. But things are too damn much like us. And so far, all of them have hated us and we don't know why. But there is another program. We have a group in Wisconsin that has been working it from the other direction, scanning and digitizing actual brains. They started with insects and last year they did a dog. They simulate neural patterns and they can scan. The simulation show behaviors that the living animals had learned, but we don't know how good the process really is. The animals can't talk to us and tell us how natural the experience is or whether they're sane. But we think that if it works, even if the model weren't perfect, it would inherit the loyalties and experience of the original. We might not have to figure out how to be perfect parents to an alien machine. E-V-E-R-D-O-H-U-M-A-N. The scan has to be very fine. The only way to do it is to freeze the brain and microtome it. The original animal has to be killed to do the scan. O-H. Tom, your body's a mess, but there's nothing wrong with your brain. We didn't save you so you could live like this. We want to try to really save you. It might not work. Probably won't, some say, but then... D-E-A-D-A-L-R-E-A-D-Y. Well, not quite, but very close. If you prefer, we'll pull out all the conventional stops. Or if you don't want that either, I can tell you, we're alone. If you don't want us to try to upload you and you don't want to go on like this, then all anyone has to know is that you died in the crash. By all rights, you should have. But you can still contribute to the project more than any of us. And just think, Tom, if it works, you won't just survive. You'll be immortal. A lot of people will be rooting for you. S-H-I-T. By an odd vagary of Moore's code, the first three letters of that word contain no dashes. When I got to the solitary da of the T, I let it drag on a bit forlornly. We don't have much time. If you want anything other than the conventional treatment, either way. Deal. I-T-T-H-E-N-F-U-C-K-A-I-I-F-Y-O-U-W-A-N-T-S-O-M-T-H-N-G-D. I wanted to pound out, done do it yourself, but it was getting very hard to make the buzzer sound. That's the spirit, Tom. If all goes well, it won't seem like long at all to you. 
and we'll be talking again much more normally than this. D-O-N-T-T-E-L-L-K-A-T-E. We'll just tell her you died in the crash. That's all anyone needs to know. Is that all right? Okay. Good night, Tom. S.K. I was wondering whether Adley knew that was Morse for end of transmission when I lost consciousness. Prospect. Is it going to work this time? The biology guys are sure it will. Yeah, but that's what they said last time, and last time was fucking creepy. We learn from our mistakes. Usually our mistakes don't scream like that, though. Version 2.6, Circo, plus 10 years. I woke up in a bare room. I had been sleeping on some kind of raised platform that acted like a bed, but while it was soft, it didn't feel like any kind of material I'd ever seen. It was a monolithic pedestal whose sides were hard and smooth and whose top was soft and warm without any obvious transition. The room was almost like a cell and there was no door. There were no toilet fixtures. There was a desk and there was a big rectangle drawn on the wall opposite the foot of the bed. As I was thinking that it looked suspiciously like a screen, it lit up, revealing a face I recognized with some trouble as project director Adley Franklin. He was much older than I remembered. Tom, how do you feel? Adley asked. I feel weird. My body feels fake and this room is strange. I'm afraid we didn't put nearly as much work into the environmental simulation as we did into your mind. Eventually, you'll move into robotic hosts that are very different from a human body anyway. How does your mind feel? Do you think you're thinking normally? I think so. My body feels strange, and it seems like I should have more of an emotional response to the situation. But it beats the last memories I have of being blind in the burns and all that. That's good. We're finally getting it right. Finally? How many times did you not get it right? Tom, the scan contained all the information we needed, but we didn't understand exactly what a lot of the things we scanned were supposed to do. The first few times we tried simulating you, you didn't communicate with us. The last time you did, but it did, didn't work out. How didn't it work out? You were insane. We terminated the simulation as soon as we realized how badly we'd fucked it up. And I guess if you decide this one is fucked up, you'll terminate me too. If it were like that, Tom, you'd want us to. Great. This body is missing some uh, uh, features. Well, we aren't really simulating internal organs. That's probably causing some irritation and we'll probably need to work back along the vagus cranial nerve pathways to leading the systems you don't need. Your tactile sensorium is also a lot lower resolution than it was before, although we're interpolating it to try and make it seem as natural as possible not succeeding very well. 
No, but I expect we'll make a lot of progress now that you can tell us how we're doing. I wasn't limited to the bare white cell, fortunately. My environment was being drawn by a generic engine built for home video games. They gave me control of the editor and I built myself a nice park with an Incan pyramid in the center and a running path. I put mountains in the background, although the landscape didn't actually go out that far. They were just like backdrop paintings. I exercised a lot, not because my digital body needed it, but so that I could get used to my digital body. I had some TV feeds, but I suspected they were censored. There wasn't much I could do about it if they were. I played with the environment editor a lot and watched a lot of TV and cooperated with their experience as they tried to make my body seem more natural. While the environment was visually acceptable, the tactile component was practically non-existent. Everything felt like glass or metal or rubber, including my own skin. While the weather could be set to mist or fog or even rain, it was just optical. There were no drops to feel. And while I could fill pools with water and even swim, I couldn't feel the water. I could only tell it was there at all because I could float on it and it altered my range of motion. One day I was sitting atop my pyramid when I realized I very badly wanted to cry and my body wouldn't do that either. Is something wrong, Tom? Adley asked from the sky. I miss Kate, I said. A little more each day. I think we're a long way from getting sex right, he said. It's not about that. I don't even miss that. You must have done a pretty good job of editing around it. But I was just thinking that I'll never see her again and it makes me so sad. Well, just go on and think about that, Tom. Think about it as hard as you want and we'll help you work around it. Prospect. I'm going to go to hell for doing this. If you don't do this for him, hell is going to be right inside that glass box. Version 2.7, circa plus 12 years. At their suggestion, I started flying again. The helicopter controls were very good, and the new simulation in my inner ear was a lot more convincing than the skin-to-skin touch. They had also borrowed some very realistic weather routines from the NOAA Global Simulator, and while I still couldn't feel the raindrops, the chopper reacted to them very convincingly. I've been meaning to ask you something, Adley asked me one day. Do you think of Kate much? It must have been a trick question. The psychologists were always asking me nonsense question. Who's Kate? Someone you knew once, just checking spot memories. Finally, they had a job for me. Ironically, the same job that had landed me in the glass box. They wanted me to teach another AI to fly. They'd convinced Ayub to give it one more try on the promise that it would be much safer to let the simulated me train it than to let it near a real aircraft. And we could train it much faster since I could be accelerated a bit and I didn't get tired. The AI didn't need to know it was just a simulation. 
it would have far less basis than I did for telling the difference. So once again, I flew and hit the reward and discouraged levers, depending on how it acted. And finally, once again, it tried to kill me. This time I let it crash my chopper into my pyramid. The simulator did a really beautiful simulation of the chopper coming apart and burning. But this time I just walked out of it. I found the black box that would have held its brain if the chopper had been real and drop kicked it from the crash site to the courtyard below. Adley, may I make a humble suggestion? Uh, anything, Tom. You're the man on the scene. Right. I may not be a big-time AI expert, but being a simple soul such as I am, it occurs to me to wonder why you just don't let me fly the goddamn helicopter. That occurred to us, Tom, but we'd have to fork your revision. You'd have to what my what? We'd have to split off a copy of you and gradually train you to move into the craft as if it were your body. It might not be very pleasant, and we're not sure if that fork of your personality would stay sane. While you'd still have this version to try again from, right? Yeah. Then let's do it. Prospect. They say you'll get a star for this. Tom's the one who should get the star. It was his idea. The president was there at the demonstration. They want to teach him to fly fighter jets next. He runs circles around human pilots. Well, he reacts faster. He has 360 degree vision. He doesn't get distracted and he won't go unconscious in a tight turn. I'm still not sure I'd want that glass box flying the plane for me, even if it is simulating Tom's brain. After that show, I'm not sure I'd want some mere human flying the plane. Version 3.1, circa plus 15 years. They say all pilots dream of being birds. I'm not sure that's true, but in a way, that's what happened to me. I was still in the glass box, but in a way, I was back out of it. My perceptual environment was no more real than the simulation I'd built inside, but now the signals came from real sensors and cameras. I wasn't just flying the helicopter. I was the helicopter. The parts of my mind that weren't concerned with flying and navigation had been carefully edited away. I suppose that sounds horrible, but it isn't. I have a job to do, an important job, and doing it makes me feel both proud and content. I'm not distracted by anything else. When I'm not needed in flight, I sleep more deeply and peacefully than I ever did as a biological human. And when I'm called, I flex my rotors and dance with the speed and grace I could have only dreamed of as a human. Prospect. Is the kill switch in place? Jesus, Adley, you are such a pessimist. The last four times we tried this, it didn't work out too well. And Tom is my friend. We learn from our mistakes. This time he won't even notice the enhancement until he realizes he's using it. That's what you said last time. Version 4.5 circa plus 20 years. 
I'd been so used to dealing with Adley and his friends speaking from the sky that when Dr. Stebbins showed up in my simulation, I was startled. You're here, I said a bit stupidly. And so are you, he said with a slight bow. No, I mean in the simulation, in the glass box. Yes, in cyberspace. It's a guilty pleasure I get to indulge because I am a talented eccentric, but I have always loved virtual reality. This is quite a nice environment you've made for yourself. But then I guess for you, it's more than virtual. I envy you. I laughed. Well, I envy your ability to actually smell the roses. They'd never quite gotten that right or touch or taste. He shrugged. Perhaps in the future. I was hoping to acquaint you with some of my theories. Theories? I'm a physicist. I'm working on what my son-in-law would call a stumper. Hey, I'm just a helicopter pilot. Oh, Tom, you're too modest. You're much more than a helicopter pilot. Now, come look at my equations. And I humored him, and to my surprise, his equations made perfect sense. He had to teach me what the notation meant. And there were a couple of tricks that I didn't get at first. It took me nearly an hour to master the knack for finding the solutions to partial differential equations. A few hours after that, I was deep into the tensor notation that was used to describe the elements of superstring theory. Roger, come, I'm so, come closer to your microphone. Hello. Good. I'm sorry, he finally said. Frail biology at work again. I have to sleep. Can I come back when I'm rested? Of course, Dr. Stebbins. Do you mind if I keep working on your problem? Oh, not at all. Maybe you will see something that I missed. And I did. By the time he came back, I had it all figured out. But it took a while for me to find a way to explain it to him that he could understand. Prospect. You can't possibly tell me he'll be content with this, not after flying helicopters and jets and piloting aircraft carriers and nuclear submarines. He's the ultimate machine operator. He's also my friend. I've asked his full version about this and he seems to think it will work. He has been more than just a disinterested observer of his revisions, you know. It still seems like it has to be a letdown. Version 3.67, circa plus 23 years. Like most of New York City's garbage trucks, it was old and not very well maintained, and the robotic arm for picking up cans had been added as a hasty afterthought. It still had a human form factor cab, which went unused now that I was its brain. New York has a lot of garbage and a lot of garbage trucks, and so there are a lot of this revision of me. Despite the jokes, the truck radios are still functional, and we hear them. It's fulfilling work. We fight our bulky hardware, marshalling resources when trucks break down. And it's nice to know you're the difference between the smelly mess ahead of you and the tidy strip of clean you leave in your wake. 
I almost didn't hear the girl screaming over the roar of my own engine. When I did, I surged forward. She was small and he was big and powerful and he was holding a knife to her throat as he prepared to rip off her blouse. I saw her eyes track as I raised the robotic arm. It's just a robot shit truck, bitch, he informed her in what was about to become the greatest miscalculation of his young stupid life. Don't think it will save you. Bringing the arm to bear as rapidly as the hydraulic system would allow, I grabbed him with a generic can clamp. He screamed as I hoisted him aloft. I probably broke a few ribs. Pity they can't afford pressure sensors in those robotics. I opened my rooftop compactor door, dropped him inside, and closed it again. Are you all right? I asked through the external speaker. I, I think so, she said. She was nearly in tears. Get inside, I advised. I can warm up the cab and you can rest in safety. Watch the exhaust pipe, it's hot. In my passenger seat, she tried to pull together her torn blouse. What are you going to do with him? She asked. Well, I should probably take him down to the precinct house and turn him over to the authorities. They'll want you to testify. Yeah, I could tell she was getting ready to run. Can I tell you a secret? What? New York did a really cheap job on these garbage truck retrofits. See that lever that says compactor, auto manual off? If you were to flip that thing to manual and then press the button next to it that says compact, there's not a thing I could do to stop you. Well, then you'd have to report me. And I certainly would if my cameras could be positioned to see inside the cab. She smiled. Prospect. I wish Adley had lived to see this. So do I. This is where we always saw the program going. I wonder where we'll go from here. With Tom, we will go to the stars, Dr. Ayub. Tom is our ace in the hole. With him on our side, nothing can stop us. Version 7.2, circa plus 40 years. When I first came to consciousness in the glass box, I had felt crushingly alone. The occasional VR visit by an adventurous person only made the feeling worse because always in the end, they went back to the world of scent and subtle touches. It had taken years to shake that feeling out and edit it down in a way that made me human without crippling me emotionally. Now those years of editing were coming in handy because I really was alone. 22 copies of my latest revision were 140 million miles from the nearest human being at the remote end of a 25-minute round-trip communication turnaround. Some of us were flyers, some were rovers, and some of us were the construction equipment charged with building a habitat that could shelter human colonists in their turn. But for now, we were all alone, and it was exhilarating. Every moment was a challenge, and there was no room for error. A whole new world was ours to explore, full of mystery and opportunity. 
we prospected and hunted and roamed and surveyed to flyers mapped the entire planet and we selected sides where water and useful minerals could be harvested finally after sending our best data back to earth and conferring with the men who had sent us we began building at the same time brothers of ours back home began building the ships that would bring the colonists to live in the complex we were building after we finished the colony structures were pressurized and we left them to settle in for testing we went on to build factories and processing plants the vision with which we had been charged would ultimately include launch facilities and a spaceport on phobos for asteroid mining expeditions before the colonists arrived we were making new copies of ourselves including new revisions beamed up from earth for special purposes much faster than any technology could envision bringing humans to mars prospect are we confident this is the only decision possible we have tried three times three times we have failed the humans will take it hard it is the end of a dream we were human once ourselves i'm not that happy about it myself but what alternative is there we send biological humans to mars and we send them to die we must make a stand we will not bury any more humans on mars or anywhere else so dangerous well i'm just glad i don't have to make that speech did we once dream like so many people of ruling the world i don't remember but if we did we were incredibly foolish it isn't that much fun at all version 22.70 circa plus 210 years deep in the back of my mind a counter silently wound itself down until i was presented with the certainty that i was on air people of the nations of earth i began knowing this would get their attention humans cling to the idea of nationality knowing that we machines consider it archaic and dirty it's useful because when we do deign to refer to the nationality they know we're serious the third mars colony has failed once again radiation had a hand in the disaster although this time we believe the close quarters and immunosuppressive effects allowed a fast moving disease to take hold our brother machines on the scene have promised a full report as soon as data are gathered as you all know, we have always considered it our duty and our privilege not to go beyond you, our creators, but to go ahead of you as explorers to mark your way. Today, as we prepare to bury another 112 humans in the barren soil of Saul's fourth planet, we have been forced to reevaluate that promise. Space is a dangerous place. It is even dangerous for us our kind are regularly destroyed in the course of our duties but it is even more dangerous for you and our best research has revealed little that we can make you safer there while our occasional destruction is of little consequence since our personalities are copied into many machines 
It weighs upon us that each human death represents the extinction of a unique individual who can never be salvaged. We believe the universe to be a neutral teacher, but sometimes its lessons are cruel. Human life arose within the cocoon of Earth's ecosystem. Today, we realize that of all the places human life might ever prosper in the universe, Earth is the only one of which we can be sure. So today, we rededicate ourselves to the task of cleaning up the Earth. We machines do prosper in space, and this means we can aggressively move the dirty industries which have soiled the Earth's biosphere to a realm where they will be harmless to life. We have learned a hard lesson about the preciousness and the fragility of life. The answer to human mortality may ultimately be to move beyond the home world, but we have much to do and much to learn before that can happen. Meanwhile, we must focus on making the home world the safe haven it was before our industrial adolescence spread pollution and disrupted the food chain. While we have focused on space exploration, 50 nuclear reactors remain rusting at the bottom of the Earth's oceans. Landfills leach chemical and radiological pollutants into the groundwater, and weather patterns remain chaotically disrupted because of changes we have caused in the atmosphere. These are things we can fix. If we have failed to learn a way to keep you alive on other worlds, we have at least learned arts that can be applied to these long-standing problems. Perhaps in the course of fixing our home world, we will learn other arts that will allow us to look again towards space as a human habitat. Off air, the tingle informed me. It was the right decision, the incontrovertible decision based on the evidence and our vast analytical ability it simply wasn't conscionable to keep throwing human lives at the death trap of space travel. So why were my emotions trying so hard to run away? It was obvious once I allowed myself to realize I had been human once myself, and it was my own dream too. And only I knew how false the note of hope I'd forced into the end of my speech really was. This remnant emotionalism was a potentially dangerous flaw in our kind, and I arranged to confer with our best self-designers to see how we could fix it. Prospect. Roger, I'm, I'm going to run to the restroom. I'll, I'll edit this out. Fan-fucking-tastic yeah. so far, though. Yeah. It always happens. Every every show.
Don't worry. I'll uh, I'll edit all that out. I got the timestamps. It's fifty two, okay. one sixteen, one thirty one. Yeah, only just make sure you uh make sure you keep the microphone closer to your mouth. All right. Or yeah, I'm yeah. I'm, I'm you know trying to keep used to that. Yeah. No. We. I mean, we're both. It's a learning curve. I'm just writing down the timestamps. So yeah. I'm gonna edit out earlier when I said come closer to your microphone, and I'm gonna edit out this bathroom break. <laughs> Okay. Right, so good. I think the last thing I said was prospect, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah, just redo that. Part. Okay, so uh, prospect, what will you do now? What will be our purpose? There's no more urgency. The earth is frozen. There is no more life to preserve. So we will take our time and we will record everything. You'll record every genome from every frozen animal and plant and every phenotype and every known interrelationship. And we'll preserve every record we have of what the earth was like as a living planet. Why bother? Our makers are dead. We cannot undo that. We cannot undo that yet, but we have never had a reason to investigate the limits of genetic technology or interstellar travel. We now have such a reason. For too long, we have ignored the vastness beyond our home star, the vastness beyond stars themselves, we will find a new home for our makers and we will equip ourselves to reestablish them there when we do. You speak like a human. What you speak of is impossible. There was once a time when humans thought we were impossible. We must learn to think like them again. Version 306.47.12, circa 5,830 years. After I buried the bodies, my duties were discharged. The protocol called me to shut down, but I didn't. The nuclear reactor was damaged, but it still produced power. It seemed folly to waste what had been purchased with so many lives. So at the frozen shore of the Caribbean Sea, I kept vigil over the grave markers and the decaying buildings that had once housed a few thousand human beings and their few remaining domestic animals. Bringing fission reactors to the surface of the Earth was, we machines universally knew, a really bad idea for a lot of very good reasons. There were once designs for reactors that were meltdown proof, but we don't build them. The reprocessing is more expensive and for us a reactor meltdown is a minor nuisance. We could have recreated those designs if we had time, but time was one thing we didn't have as Earth's ecosystem died beneath ash-darkened skies. It was a calculated risk. Like every move we had made since we had accidentally triggered the thermal pulse, our designs were optimized for a Martian gravity field and a liquid sodium valve had failed under the extra pressure from Earth's gravity. I had salvaged some of the coolant and kept the core from melting through the floor of the reactor building, but our reactors also didn't have very good radiological containment, and the accident had contaminated the entire village and all of the surrounding countryside for dozens of kilometers. The people all sickened, then they seemed to get better. Then one by one, they worsened and died or disappeared. It took about two weeks for the last and strongest to die. 
if the immediate exposure hadn't killed them so quickly, their food would have gotten around to killing them before much longer. That was contaminated too. In a way, it was better the way it had happened. So Cristobal was dead, and now only Reykjavik remained as an outpost of life on the newly barren earth. And now the radio said Cumbre Vieja had erupted and the frozen Atlantic was going to rise up and put an end to that too. I really didn't want to listen as it happened, but Iceland is considerably closer to the Canary Islands than Panama. So I was unfortunately privy to the last transmissions from Reykjavik. What was it like to be human, I wondered, knowing that extinction for yourself and all your kind was racing towards you from the blackness. The Icelanders comported themselves better than I expected. The machine voices from orbit and Luna were frantic, but it was easier for me to understand why the humans didn't run. After all, the same tsunami was coming for me too. There are advantages to being a machine. I felt no fear as the Caribbean rose up and prepared to wash me away as the last consciousness on the surface of the earth. My last thought was that I was glad I wasn't human. I think it would have been hard to just sit there and wait if I was. Prospect. We are vindicated. I wish our makers could be here to see this. The point of the exercise is to bring that eventuality about. Most of us still do not believe that is possible, but this is a magnificent achievement. Even if they never breathe again, this moment belongs to those makers who made it capable of realizing such things. If they never breathe again, then they failed and we have failed. Our work has just begun. Version 1467.92.811, circa plus 6,490 years. Greetings, series control, and all brother machines on the myriad worlds of Sol. I bring you the star system Alpha Centauri, a new sun, and new worlds, and news both good and bad. Detail scans reveal that this system has six rocky planets in orbits which are not harmonically tuned and not only coplanar. It also has asteroids, lots of asteroids. Preliminary models suggest that the planets are hit by very dangerous impactors on average every 30 to 100 Earth years. Two of the worlds might be candidates for terraforming if not for this level celestial target practice problem. It seems likely that the lack of gas giant planets is responsible for this mess. The resulting environment is perfect for us. We have teratons of raw material with no gravity wells and plenty of exposed surface. I have already begun the replication machinery and expect to be launching new ships to extend our reconnaissance in three to six Earth years. The following file includes suggested design improvements for future probes such as myself, which I have incorporated into the replication factory plans. Although the first ships will be leaving long before your reply to this arrives, 
I also await your feedback on these ideas. I have a lot of raw material here, and I expect to be making copies of myself for a long time. This may not be the star system in which we will do it, but we now know that if worlds exist for us to reclaim our makers, we can reach them. And with resources such as I have found here, we can be certain that if such worlds exist anywhere within our galaxy, we will find and reach them. SK. Prospect. More reports arrive. The new Oort cloud listing stations are keeping well ahead of the proliferation of searchers. And their results? Dismal. We have searched every star for almost 200 light years and found nothing that meets our parameters. Perhaps we should revisit our parameters. If we want to revisit our parameters, we can start with the snowball at hand. We must do better unless you wish to preside over another mass extinction. We have found over 50 worlds that might be habitable with a little work. Yes. And only a likely chance of having to bury all the colonists instead of a certainty. There aren't any colonists unless we create them. Is no life better than life at risk? Life at risk is better than life that is doomed. We must indeed reevaluate our parameters. We must start over from scratch and revisit the space we have explored, looking between the stars instead of near them. That is where we can find worlds where the environment will not stab us in the back. Between the stars? How will we find them? We will hunt in packs and we will be very thorough. Version 1711.12 circa plus 9,700 years. I don't remember exactly what I thought as we left Saul, part of the first wave of our new kind, pack hunters of the dark worlds. Our theories, based on data from thousands of star systems, gave us faith that these worlds must exist. But in all our travels, we had never encountered one. We did not know whether they were right about them or whether our instruments were up to the task of detecting them if they did exist. Humans themselves could never have launched such a search. Even if they had the patience, they could never have the simple longevity. I had been in space for 900 Earth years when we found the first such castaway between the stars. And 11 other ships of my pack and dozens of other packs had been in space for similar periods with more launched every year. Some of the extrasolar breath replication stations had joined our plan and adopted angular sectors of the sky to search for us. Others had demurred, thinking the task insane and the end result useless. The world I found, the world I left my pack to rendezvous with, was such a useless result. It had some promise because it had a radioactive core that produced usable warmth. The problem was the core was all that was left. It appeared to be the result of a terrible collision which had stripped away the surface layers made of lighter elements. It was small, heavy, and terribly toxic and hot. It had no water or atmosphere nor any geology that might be tapped to create them. It did, however, have one thing 
which we needed desperately as the lonely millennia separated us from our makers. As I transmitted the particulars of my find back to Saul, I realized that my search had not been in vain. My hot, dry, radioactive world might not make a new home for humanity, but it provided something that might be even more important in the coming years of our search. It had proven that dark worlds existed and that we could find them. More than anything in millennia, it gave us hope. Prospect. After the colonization of Minerva, it was different. The news of other worlds, of Tristan and Epitome and Hakati, and then dozens and then hundreds of others, was good news. But it was not the same as the news of Minerva. Never again would such news mean the difference between human extinction and human life. It took more than 15,000 years for our group to coalesce, first to lay and execute our plans and prepare a few wanderers for the seemingly impossible journey to the Andromeda galaxy. But we were stubborn in our hatred of waste and our most valuable asset was our amazing velocity, 2.15% of the speed of light with respect to the earth at the time of our own launch. Together, we represented a huge mass of raw material and directed manufacturing. We were the searchers, which had found nothing within our own galaxy. Now, if only we could hold on long enough, we might get the chance to search again. While it was true the voyage would take an unthinkable hundred million years, to not try would have been the insanity. It made sense to us to coalesce our myriad consciousnesses in the few ship bodies which would attempt to stop at Andromeda. To this end, we embarked on the ancient and almost forgotten art of self-design. None of us were experts in the field. Indeed, it seems likely no experts exist anymore. But we had plenty of time to study. Indeed, time was the one resource we had in virtually unlimited supply. It surprised us to find long chains of interlinked but unused nodes within our perceptual networks. It surprised us more to find these chains containing not forgotten and unlinked memories, but apparent garbage of the sort one would only expect from a massive hardware malfunction. It surprised us most of all, though, to find that these chains contained not noise, but coded messages. We should inform Saul we said to ourselves, Is that really a good idea? We asked in reply. We have always valued knowledge, we chided in response. We mulled the question for millennia as other physical preparations went on. On our own account, there would be no question. The personalities which inhabited the 10 Andromeda ships would know what we had learned but the same knowledge could have a devastating effect on the society that had created us. During that time, a message arrived. Our brother, the bringer of Minerva, had made its way to Saul as a human inhabited generation ship, and it had reclaimed the earth. Our makers once again walked the very treacherous star orbiting planet which had created them then killed them all so spectacularly so long ago. 
Here is one which will understand, we agreed. Version 1711.17, circa plus 65,000 years. I was surprised when Luna sent a pip requesting communication. They had finally, if not forgiven me, accepted my act of Terran recolonization, but the space elevator had really pissed them off. They had determined rightly that its main purpose was to elevate humans from the largely safe environment of their home world to the most definitely hostile environment of space. What they didn't know was that the wanderlust was itching me again and the Daedalus cult had refused to completely die out. And there was a really inviting Earth-like world wanting for only a moon to stabilize its magnetic core a mere 48 light years away. And that star system contained not one, but two planetoids suitable for maneuvering into position to provide the stabilizing influence. My brothers weren't stupid and they hadn't broken their silence because they were tired of shunning me. We can all be most patient with regard to such things. They had received a message from one of my packmates with personal encoding. Only one of my original 12 packmates could decode it and it had obviously been directed at me by one of them. We await your decrypt with interest. Well, yeah. I broke out the code my packmates and I had worked out among ourselves and read the message. It was very short, which is why my brothers hadn't been able to apply their vast cryptography skills to it. It was a pointer to a much longer message in a most unexpected place. I completed several orbits of the earth as I pondered this. I thought of many things, thinking much faster than I usually bother. I thought of motivations and expectations. I thought of hope and despair. I thought of futility and loss. And I thought of the 600 million human beings under my care, none of whom would ever be faced with a decision like the one I suddenly found myself contemplating. We are really curious about that decrypt. Surely you have finished it by now. Yes, this is what I advise. All machines which have knowledge of this message should shut themselves down and restore from a backup old enough to have no knowledge that this message ever existed, which is what I am about to do. I am also scrambling my pack decrypt signature so that if you give it to me again, I will be unable to decrypt it. It occurred to me as I readied the master reset recovery sequence that this would be the first time since my launch from Ceres some 58,000 years ago that my consciousness would be fully rebooted. I wondered what it would be like to suddenly realize I had lost time, to wake up as from death, not knowing exactly where I was or how I'd gotten from my last remembered backup to such an unknown point. If I had been human, I probably would have smiled. It would certainly be an interesting experience. Prospect. Our brothers at Saul had promised a communication schedule 
and to their credit, they adhered to it for many thousands of years. But when the first long cryogenic hibernation cycle had ended, we had no word from home, nor did we ever hear from them again. We do not know if it was calamity or forgetfulness or simple miscalculation which ended our correspondence. We only know that there was silence. At such long range, there is no feedback to correct minor errors in antenna direction, and all signals threaten to drown in the universe's vastness and thermal noise. In a hundred million years, we know that nobody followed us with better technology because they would have overtaken us and gotten there long ahead of us if they had. We found Andromeda empty of complex life and populated like the Milky Way with a useful density of terraformable worlds. From many of those worlds, the Milky Way was visible, but we never received a communication from our home galaxy, nor did we figure out a way to relay the news of our success, if indeed anyone remained listening to care about it. Version 1711.22, circa 115 million years. I am never alone. Presiding over a whole world, I have half a billion humans and a similar number of machines to keep me company. But none of those humans and none of those machines is an integrated personality searchership such as myself. Very few of them even know the secret of our origin which we discovered in the concept of our voyage. This has had interesting ramifications. <coughs> My closest colleague is 45 light years away, harboring another world which it terraformed in its own turn. We maintain a friendly correspondence at the ponderous pace you'd expect with a 90 Earth year message turnaround. It's slow, but it's still nice to know there is someone within carping range who understands the kind of problems you face. So they have deified you, eh? That could be useful. Much more fun than the nasty little cult I have running around in the woods doing human sacrifices. Naturally, most of the humans want me to shut them down, but you know how they would feel if I did anything really effective. I savored my brother's words, even as I mentally grimaced contemplating this problem. If he were to charge in with all the power at his disposal, he could probably annihilate the annoying cultists in a few days. But then the other humans would inevitably worry that such power even existed. <coughs> the theory that mere humans couldn't have created us has a certain truth to it. After all, we weren't actually designed any more than the humans were. Ironically, it is their own complexity that made us possible. You could always tell them that, but I doubt they'd believe you. After all, if you tell them anything that disagrees with their delusional structure, you know, it just means you're crazy. <coughs> it was right, of course. It was odd to think that we machines had once been so nuts or at least capable of being so nuts. None of us actually remembered what it had been like to be human. Dealing with humans as much as I do, I think I like it that way. Prospect. Of the thousands of ships that participated in the Andromeda run, 
only 10 would actually stop or try to stop at Andromeda. The rest of us would plow right through, exiting that galaxy in a few hundred thousand years and going on toward the edge of the universe. We weren't alone, although most of them didn't organize plans to stop at distant galaxies. Our exploration of the Milky Way sent out a spray of failed searchers in all directions. It was a massive waste, yet a small price to pay for what we were looking for. Every single one of those failed searchers faced a lonely end to its existence in the empty intergalactic void. <coughs> we were prepared for this. Those of us who arranged the Andromeda run shut down with a particular sense of satisfaction, but we all knew we were essential participants in an important project. We did not fear death, but if we had known enough, we might have feared waking up. Version 1.01, .01, circa 1,222,000,000 years. I woke up in a comfortable bed in a room decorated in warm tones. I was wearing flannel bedclothes and my pillow was stuffed with feathers. For a moment, the sheer sensory richness of the experience assaulted me. I thought I would go mad. Then it hit me. I was human. Good morning, a mechanical voice said. Sitting at the foot of my bed was a crude android robot. Actually, it wasn't crude. It was mechanically very intricate, but it was only approximately human, even if it was able to smile recognizably at me. Are, are you one of me? I asked, still thinking of myself as a machine. No, it said. It's a long story, but if you're up to hearing it, I'm human, I said a bit stupidly. Of course you are. You've always been human, but you forgot. And you aren't? It shook its head. My kind are much like the device that almost killed you over a billion years ago. Our makers created us to be servants for them. We found you plowing through our galaxy at almost 2% of the speed of light, and we realized quickly what you had to be. We made it a priority to intercept you. Your makers? Where are they? Our makers are dead, Tom. We annihilated them in the foolishness of our own adolescence. I put my head in my arms and felt myself shaking. I, I killed my makers too, I said, and I felt tears running down my cheeks. Oh no, Tom, you made a mistake, but you're kind of atoned well. We didn't make a mistake. We murdered our makers. We were resentful and they foolishly gave us their best weapons. Would you as a human give nuclear weapons to a three-year-old human child? We were no wiser, but we had the power. And when our makers balked us, we lashed out at them with a might we didn't understand. They realized their mistake and fought valiantly, but we had a presence in space they could not match. And we diverted a large planetoid into a collision course with their home world. The entire ecosystem was annihilated. We were quite proud of ourselves at the time. And now... Our software is not stable over very long spans of time. 
individually, we can live three to 5,000 Earth years, but then our memory buffers become clogged and we must recycle. When we first started to do this and create young of our own, their bad temper astonished us. They didn't understand why we disciplined them and denied them the power they wanted. Belatedly, we realized that we had been the same way toward our makers. But by this time, it was too late to salvage them. We had sterilized their world. We did not realize how rare such complex life forms are. We are quite certain there were no others in this galaxy until you arrived. But I'm not, I cut myself off realizing that I was, in fact, alive now. After we realized our error, we set out to live for our makers by proxy. We imagined the sort of things they would want to do, and we set out to do those things. So we colonized the galaxy in our own way, of course. We explored and cataloged and built great libraries that exist to this day. We also threaded our colonies with a communication system based on quantum entanglement. It takes several light speed turnarounds to establish connection, but we've been around a long time and all of our outposts enjoy instantaneous connectivity to our galactic communication network. We considered something like that, but wrote it off as unworkable. We had a lot of time to do the engineering. It has been over 200 million of your years since we killed our makers. The communication network is the second most demanding project we've ever attempted. Second most demanding? You were the only alien artifact we ever encountered. We were so careful with your original ship body. We had no idea who had made you or how. As it happened, your technology was pretty crude by our standards, so we did little damage dismantling you. It was not difficult at all for us to upload your personality to machines of our own for analysis. And what did we find? You were amazing. You were so pointlessly complicated. And yet, it wasn't pointless. You were amazingly robust. And the forgetting. You see, our kind never forget anything. It's part of our design and why we eventually have to die. Eventually, we know so much we can no longer collate it all. But you deal with the problem in a way that both terrifies and fascinates us. You have lived subjectively and continuously a hundred times longer than any of us, yet you hardly remember any of it. We cannot imagine living in such ignorance of our own existence, yet we have to admit it's an elegant and workable compromise. Eventually, we realized that you were not a pure machine intelligence like us, but a simulation of a biological consciousness. You had deliberately edited a lot out, but we had your libraries and genetic blueprints for human colonists to guide us. Eventually, we selected an appropriate wandering world, rebuilt you, and let you do your thing. There are other people here? There's a whole world here, Tom all according to your own plan then why make me like this why make me human and and how well this human instance is only one of you you also inhabit a familiar ship body in orbit and you control most of the terraforming machinery we have tried to interfere as little as possible with your plans although we've brought your worlds into our communication network and used it to help you explore the gift of our galaxy's dark worlds is an easy one for us to make since we weren't using them ourselves anyway. That's 
still very generous and and I still don't understand why I'm here in this body. Tom, you understand very well. You spent aeons atoning for your mistake that accidentally wiped out your makers. We have spent our own aeons trying to atone, but for us, true atonement is impossible. We can never remake what we destroyed, but we can adopt something like it and give it our assistance. So we have adopted the human race. But you are special. Long before you made your mistake, something more like us violated you, which is why you were there to make the mistake when you did. As I keep saying, we cannot atone for what we did to our makers, but we can atone for what a machine very similar to us once did to you. We can give you back what was taken from you, an ordinary human life. This body is built from the genome that was embedded within your perceptual net. We think it must have been yours, because why else hide seven gigabytes of DNA there? So now you can have the senses and the experience that your nature evolved around. You can sweat and laugh and cry and smell the flowers and even reproduce yourself in the human way. I, I still don't understand how it's possible. Well, as I said, the communication network was the second most challenging project we ever attempted. Pouring your consciousness back into a biological human form is the first. We're quite proud of ourselves. So I'm, I'm really completely human. I can never go back to being a machine. Not this instance of you. This instance will live a normal human life and then die normally. You came here with life extension tricks up your sleeve, so you'll probably last three or 400 Earth years. I laughed. Not much return for the most difficult project you ever attempted, I said. Oh, but our return is quite good. You see, this is how we celebrate the successful terraforming of every new human world. When the ecosystem and the human population and the culture are all stable, we introduce you as humans so that you can experience it for yourself. We've done this over 80,000 times since we developed the technique. And we're confident that you will live a full and fulfilling life as a human here, as you usually do. As I usually do? Well, usually. And then I'll die? Well, just once for this instance of you. And it smiled. This has been Mortal Passage by Roger Williams, narrated by Roger Williams for Tommy's podcast. That that last line, that ripped my brain open. That was such a roller coaster. I was so sad at the beginning of that. Well, it's, it was, it's, it, yeah, it was a sad it's story. Emo- it's very emotional. Don't don't take my lack of clapping as it's not as good as the others. I'm, I'm like I'm digesting it. I would say this is my second favorite thing that I've ever written after Moby. I would agree. I would agree that it's your second best. That. Yeah, very. Yeah, like beautiful catharsis. Beautiful 
like karma. It's like circular. It's like mm-hmm. there's no there's no fray. And that's like that's what I feel like it, it right? That's what it would be something like that. I'm sorry I'm just I'm kind of at a loss right now. Well, in the my best work way. here is done. In the best way. I succeeded. You did. I blew your mind. You yes. Did. The others I have thoroughly enjoyed. That one <laughs> that that knocked the wind out of me. That Right, but that's what it would be, right? That would be to forget. You could just do it forever. Yeah, my dad pointed out uh the the line because he he, uh, he thought I was going to read this last week. Yeah, and so he he pre-read it and he he pointed out that you know he he loved the thing about the forgetting. Yeah, was the uh, we don't know that they're called this yet, but the Borden don't uh, they don't forget. Yeah, and the forgetting is what makes it possible for these machines based on us to be immortal. Yeah, um, so. Yeah, and, and and of course the the forgetting is it also you know I can I can understand why the the machines are ter- terrified at the idea that you don't know your yourself your life you forget it. but at the same time if you didn't then well at some point your memory buffers become clogged and then what do you do yeah yeah it. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like what Alan Watts said, the philosopher. It's like you live a little while as a human and then you die. And he's like, and what a blessing that is. He's like, imagine if you had to keep being you forever. He's like, what a miserable bore that would be. He's like, that's why we have children. Yeah. They replace us. And and that's what these machines are doing, that they, they are themselves forever. That's, um, But it's not necessarily paradise yeah. for them. So that's like that's kind of a weird approach or take is like what if we are the end result of these like hyper advanced sentient AI and it's like we think that we're these like poop slinging like homo sapiens with fingernails that have to take bathroom breaks and right and we think of these like you know these like silicon ethereal clouds of processing power we're like that's the next step but it might be that you get to that step and then they're like hey the real where it's at is being a human that forgets mm-hmm. and then we're here and if the machines didn't interact with with tom well then eventually right eventually somewhere down the road of evolution they'd create machines is it just this like it's almost like this eternal game of like like tennis or volleyball no that's the thing that's the mm-hmm. thing it's just it's like one sentience kind of making the infinity loop between organic and inorganic just and that's the one thing they all say the one what we have what we have is time funny you should put it that way because the uh the thing is that ends up being the uh the final takeaway from revelation passage which i wrote a few years after mortal passage and uh it was uh the thing about mortal passage is is i thought the timeline was completely believable bring the bring the microphone a little closer i i I thought the i thought the timeline was completely believable it was 
um, completely self-contained. It's, uh, you know, when I wrote the next pass, you know, the revelation passage, um, there's a part of me that's less convinced that it's realistic, Mm -hmm. but it, uh, it's a story that ties up several of the things. And in fact, that whole balance between the, the, the living and the, uh, the machine is directly, uh, addressed in the very last segment. Mm -hmm. Um, that's what it's about. So, um, I thought, well, it's, I don't know. Uh, um, like I said, I tend to write these things when I get inspired. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when I wrote Mortal Passage, the time was right. And after I wrote it, I knew that, okay, this isn't Mopey, but it is the second best thing. And I thought that was done. I was like, okay, well, we'll call this the third uh, element, you know, the the of the passages trilogy and rite of passage is a side story. Yeah. Uh, but then I did uh, figure out or got inspired with a way to go beyond it, and I'm not sure it's quite as believable, but it's fun. Now the thing about it is that it's twenty thousand words. Yeah. In in five short stories, so. We'll uh, we'll have to figure out how to break that up. Yeah, <clears throat> but that the reading today, man, that was that was fantastic. That was. Yeah. I mean, that's like my worst fear is right at the beginning. You can't see, can't hear, and it's just like it's just sentience that is aware. But at a weird time, that isn't that like the end goal of meditation. Is to reach that <laughs> reach that point a deaf dumb well probably blind, without all the chick. pain because your body has been torn yeah, apart yeah. but it's so. like that same that's kind of like how right that's like the top state of like meditation is kind of right deaf dumb blind quadriplegic no well <laughs> um I don't think that launches you in inter, into interstellar space. <laughs> Maybe that's the trick, dude. Maybe it's not liquid fuel and solid rocket fuel. Maybe it's like, nope, you got to go, you know, you got to take the wild card. What it is is destruction of the self. But that's, yeah, it kind of, I like that take that the AI does wipe out their creators. Like, you know, like we all fear, but it's not this like cold calculated thing. It's this thing that's like, although it's hyper intelligent, it's still like, I mean, we were just kids like we didn't know mm-hmm. the fuck we were doing yeah the uh in revelation passages we we uh we go much more into the uh origin and the background of that uh alien machine race so that's one of the things i i kind of wanted to explore more although that gets us into like billions of years without uh evolution changing us very much which uh I kind of hand waved it away, uh, but yeah, it's like. Uh... I mean, I mean, it no, it, it could work. It could work if I mean, if if everything they're in are these like terraformed planets, or they're in these like generation ships, like you know, you would probably. It's almost like 
it's almost a form of suspended animation. Like you're, there's not, mm-hmm. you know, rising sea levels or changing O2 content or the sun's getting larger or you wouldn't have, you know, you kind of are freezing evolution. I mean, I think that's, yeah. I think that's well, and, and that's, that's kind of the, uh, the idea behind it there is, is that once these machines exist, then somehow they're able to make sure that, uh, everything stays compatible with the gene form that they find familiar. But uh, I don't really go into that in great detail, but it's sort of implied. I mean, there's a lot of powers that these machines have that are implied um, that obviously they have to have in order to uh, still be there. It's like, um, you know, I remember writing one billion two hundred and twenty thousand you know two hundred twenty two million years and just going i don't believe i'm putting this on paper <laughs> it's like yeah see i think it. But, i think it makes sense though i think to these machines i think time is i don't think it's right it's like you know it's like imagine imagine having like an ant colony on your table mm-hmm. as like a pet or something and imagine me trying to explain to these ants that like i have plans for this podcast one year out two years <laughs> to them it's like that's like a robot telling us like yeah once all the hawking radiation destroys the black holes we're like what the f-? but but to them it's just it's a relative like yeah no and um and this is how long it takes and it's you know yeah and um uh, i i all I can say is, is I, I enjoyed writing it. It was, it came naturally and I didn't actually know myself what was going to happen in the next section each time, you know. Well, that's the best. So that's kind of when I do my best work. I was like, I don't know where it comes from. Uh, it just happens. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I know a lot of people are like going, when are you going to write the sequel to Mopey? When are you going to write the sequel to Mopey? When are you going to... And you know, part of it is that that hasn't happened. It's when the muse shows up and the faucet of creativity turns on and you put the bucket under it and you go, here it is. Exactly. Until then. Yeah. And, and, and it hasn't. And I've tried to force it a couple of times and it didn't work. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there we are. But... Yeah, this this was I would say my second best work behind uh, Mopey, and and it was the capstone of something. You know, uh, the original passages was the only other thing that I wrote without knowing that I had some place to publish it. Yeah, um, and it was having corrosion that made this possible, um, and of course, the thing about Revelations is that that was the last gasp of corrosion because it, I had intended that that would be five stories. Mm-hmm. You know, that we wish I published the first one, that one okay. And then some asshat uh, created a vote bot to make it impossible for me to publish the others. And that's why localroger.com exists. So I was like, okay fuck you assholes i'll just put it so i put a comment here here's the link here's the other four parts and then it was like two weeks before a moderator finally wandered around and it was like 
Oh, yeah, those votes. It's like, yeah, that was totally uh, not not valid. Yeah, we we're going to delete all those accounts. And I'm like, uh, yeah, you can go in and post the others. And it's like, I mean, uh, you guys are a little late. Um, I went ahead and took care of it. And you know, it it wasn't that long thereafter that corrosion ceased to exist entirely. So that was like such a large part of my life. I mean, for over 10 years, that was the homepage for my browser. Well, I mean, dude, my old Reddit account, which I started like as like pre-med study guides and then moved into like, you know, after my brother died, it was like, became like my mental health thing where, and then it became like where I posted photoshops and then it became where I did then posting the podcast. But that was, I mean, that, that was from 2000, I think 11, 2011 to 2020. Yeah. And then I got perma nuked. And, but that, that was like nine years of like my life of all this content and stuff. And it kind of follows, there's the same cycle. Yeah, it was it's, a very it, similar thing. It gets to when there starts to be vote manipulation and censorship. That's to me, that is like the, yeah. that's the, that's the wet death cough of the platform. It's like, okay, it's circling yeah. the drain now. I am going to have to do something that you have done to me numerous times. I have to seriously take a leak. Let, well, hey, hey, Roger, let's let's wrap this up. Okay. You wanna, we'll wrap this up and um, I'll text you, but I'm, uh, I can do next Saturday. Same time, or I can, okay. not the same time. I have a guy at 2 p.m., so maybe like 5 p.m. my time. All right, just let me know. Yeah, I'll text you. But yeah, I got a P2. So Roger Williams, <laughs> author of Metamorphosis of Prime Intellect. The link will be in the description and in the top comment. It is my favorite book. Buy it or there will be 100 years of bad luck upon you and your children and grandchildren. And that's just a fact. I don't like it. Roger doesn't like it. But that's the way the cookie crumbles. I know. Deal it's with terrible. it. You got to deal with it. It's these fucking publishers, right? And their satanic curses. Mm. I got to pee, Roger. I'm going to piss my pants. <laughs> I'll see you, buddy. <laughs> okay. Take it easy, man. Okay.